Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Okay, well, good evening and welcome back, everybody. We are back here for episode 48 of Bitcoin Roundtable. We have brought back a guest. His name is David Cacimilio. Yeah, David, you. welcome back to Bitcoin Roundtable. David, since you were last on Bitcoin Roundtable, it was really more of an introduction to Bitcoin. You did know a little bit about it, but you had numerous questions. And I think we left it about how you were going to actually go out and purchase Bitcoin yourself. Did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about Bitcoin. I didn't know a lot about it, just kind of what I had Googled or read. And then I went out there and he said it would be a bit of a challenge. I had to find it on my own and I did. The uh, pathway I took was a app or a webpage called CoinSquare. And with that, I think I just made a deposit back to my bank card. Uh, and then with those funds, I purchased $300 worth of Bitcoin. And then two weeks later, it had gone down a few points, so I bought more Bitcoin. So I had $600 <laughs> worth of Bitcoin. It's kind of exciting, you know, every day I look at my phone, see how it would fluctuate day to day or minute to minute even. It's a long game play. It's not right. one where you're going to see this like flipping over every couple of weeks and stuff. Yeah. And it, it had now it's been up and down and currently it's, it's dropped down quite a bit. Instead of it being more of a, a detriment to my thoughts on it, it entices me to buy more because I think that in the long run it is gonna gonna jump up in, in great value with uh, with everything that's happening around the world. You said you bought it through your bank, so obviously you were one of the lucky ones who had a bank that allowed you to transfer it to CoinSquare. CoinSquare, yeah, I oh. didn't have any issues. I think it was a one or two day wait from the time that I activated it and did it till it was processed and accepted. And then, yeah, it was a simple, simple transaction. Uh, you did mention how much you bought. So what, what dollar value did you buy it at? Do you recall? I <laughs> don't recall the exact value. I think it was around the $8,000 mark. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So overall, though, you found it to be not too troublesome to actually do. Now, now all I've done is purchase. I haven't sold it or tried to trade it or do anything like that. Yeah. But for the purchasing aspect of it, I thought it was very, very easy. Okay. I was scared when you were going to go and buy it now so you can get it. I was like, ah! But then when I went on there, it seemed it's great. Yeah. So since the last time you were on our podcast, Bitcoin has dropped by about 70%. Yes. And you did mention that the fluctuation in price doesn't really scare you because you're going for the long. Long haul. Long yeah, haul it's, it's it. one of those where you, you buy into it and you can't pay attention to all the fluxes in it and panic and sell it. It's one of those things I think you have to wait till it comes to fruition. And I think in time when consumer confidence gets high enough in it and it gets used, a great analogy a wise man once told me about was with the internet. Like a lot of people in the beginning, ah, this internet fad and computers and all this, it's not going to do anything, get back to work and manual. And then in time, it's like now it's such an integrated part of our lives that a lot of people can't literally survive without having internet access on a daily basis for work and business and, and purchasing. And I think in time, the same thing is going to happen with the Bitcoin where it'll, it'll get into that position where people will have it and use it on a daily basis for every purchase. And once when some people see other people are doing it and how easy it is and secure, It'll just have that, you know, cascading effect where it'll just escalate quickly for usage. Right. So adoption. Yeah, that's what yeah. we're all Acceptance we're all and adoption. For. Yeah, yeah. Now, with the price today being somewhere around thirty-seven hundred dollars, mm -hmm. does that uh, entice you at all to go out and get some more? Mm -hmm. do, do you think it's hit the basement? Do you think it could go further? Uh, <laughs> if you go in ratios with what it was before, yeah. like from dollars to thousands of dollars, I think that that flux can happen again quite quickly up and down 
But I think in the long run, once that acceptance is really there, that it'll just become a part of daily life. Kind of wouldn't, you know, reading these questions like that. Well, <laughs> let, let me tell you, everybody out there, as you can tell, Darren hasn't asked a question yet, and mm -hmm. he's looking at his phone. So if he would like to get out of his phone and start asking yeah. questions, I'll put my paper away. Dude, I had a question for Dave. You're, you're just full quick fire. <laughs> I couldn't even get one in. I okay. think that right now, Bitcoin, to a lot of people... It, it almost seems like it's more of an investment than a currency. And people are looking at it in that fashion, where they're looking at it and saying, well, do I want to invest in Bitcoin? Well, I think in time, people are going to look at it almost like we look at credit cards. Like, oh, this has the best rates, easiest transactions. This it has lowest or no fees whatsoever for transactions. Limitations are less. And they'll view it as such and they'll purchase it as such. Instead of saying, I'm just buying this, I'm going to sit on it forever. They're going to be, oh, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to go buy my groceries, I'm going to go buy my coffee, I'm going to go pay my bills. I'm going to use this not just as an investment, but as a, a foundation for my economic uh, structure and use for their, themselves and their families. I do agree. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the more problematic roadblocks in getting to that utopian scenario, which I like, and I we will get there, but right now... I would say one of the major roadblocks to that is the taxation. Because uh, in the US, I'm certain, and I think it's the same in Canada, that any profit you make on Bitcoin, you have to declare. Yes. And that becomes a problem. For example, say, you know, you, you spend a thousand bucks and you load up a thousand bucks worth of Bitcoin, whatever it's worth at the time, right? And then you go out and you buy a coffee or a hard drive off of the internet or whatever else. And legally speaking, you are obligated to declare, well, when I bought this cup of coffee, Bitcoin was worth this much, so therefore I've made 30 cents profit from the time I bought the Bitcoin to the time I spent that amount. And oh, then if I, okay. I spend this amount, and oh, I've made 50 bucks profit here and I have to pay tax on that. It's a really weird scenario. How does that work with bank accounts and interest rates? If, you're, if you've got a, a no tax-free account, whatever, and you're making 3% on your money, are you getting tax on that as well? I'm not well, sure. Well, no, it's a tax-free account. It's tax-free. Oh, what if it was just a basic savings account? But, but they don't view it as money. They view it as that's a, that's an investable... Because I mean, yeah. it's still seen legally and physically yeah. as an investment rather than a currency. And they have no plans to change that because if you're a lobbyist and you're involved in the finance industry, a bank or whoever is going to pay you probably millions of dollars a year to lobby the government to ensure that Maintain Bitcoin it. stays taxed. Nobody in power wants Bitcoin to take over as the fiat currency. As the right? independent currency, yeah. Because that's power, right? Mm -hmm. And you would, how many institutions and governments and financial institutions are you basically blowing out of the water when all of a sudden bitcoin becomes the major adopted currency like blowing the regulations out of the water is what you're doing right the, the battle is in these little details like taxes where you know that's the sinister little side of it that seemingly small yet a huge problem to someone who wants to for example, get paid in Bitcoin. Some people are getting paid in Bitcoin. They, they go to their employer and ask for it. And certain employers will actually do it for you. <laughs> you know, and certain countries declare Bitcoin as a currency and not a taxable investment, in which case you're kind of free and clear, but not in the States. 
So you could get paid in Bitcoin, and all of a sudden, if Bitcoin doubles in value, right? And yeah, I don't pay taxes on. Yeah, but if your Bitcoin doubles in value and you have to pay taxes, it's not the worst place to be in. No, but the problem is the incidentals. Yeah. Every day you're buying, you know, you're paying for your gas bill or your electricity or uh, filling up your car, and if it's all in Bitcoin. Okay, well, I'm not going to declare that. It's a $20 purchase. Who cares? Mm. But if they wanted to get particular... There's track of everything. They will come after you. And you have $20,000 in Bitcoin and it doubled in value. Yet. You're like, well, I spent this 20000 in Bitcoin over the course of a year, in which time it fluctuated between 5000 and 20000 so what is my tax? But currently with the tax, if I'm correct on this, the tax you pay is at the end of tax year. So if I buy... No, my, no, no. There's no. no way you pay it as you go. You're that supposed can't, to. That can't no, possibly. it's any investment. Yeah. Well, if you have Bitcoin and all of a sudden you don't have Bitcoin, well, what value was it when you got rid of it versus when you bought it? Yes. Yeah, it's not like on January 1st. It's like, what do you have? What is it worth? It's like, I don't no, know. It's know. ongoing it's, throughout the year. So, But, yeah. you know, every time you have a transaction... Right? What's the value of Bitcoin at the time of that transaction? And this transaction and that transaction. And with those transactions, we were talking about earlier the fees. Like it's all percentages that you have to pay, or you have to pay so much to get a bank draft, you have to pay so much mm. to get a check, or so much. But with the Bitcoin, it's like 15 cents per transaction, no matter what the amount is in it to yeah. process. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, with the Lightning Network. It's kind of a layer of transaction databasing on top of the Bitcoin Box. network, the blockchain, I guess. Basically, with the Lightning Network, it's anywhere from maybe a penny to five cents per, per transaction. transaction. So banks really don't like Bitcoin. That, that's, <laughs> they make that's no money. Cutting right into it. Well, look, you know, if somebody wants money and I want to send them the money I have, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter the amount. A dollar costs the same amount to send and it's, versus a hundred million. I remember the last time we were talking, we were saying that it's secure because every person that is in Bitcoin has access to these blocks, which are the records of the transactions for these Bitcoin that happen every 10 it's, minutes. Yeah, it's a public ledger. Yes. Yeah. If the U.S. dollar had that kind of security where you could follow it and see why it has its worth and how many transactions have happened with all of it, it'd be impossible to have counterfeit or fraudulent money. If it was all electronic. If it was all electronic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because that's the problem with counterfeiting uh, is that there's no record of it. It's like, it's just cash, which gives you a lot of freedom, but at the same time, it leaves it open for corruption and for fraudulent printing and all these other types of things that could happen. Well, cash is no different than anything else. Like, um, you know, diamonds, right? Someone coming by and trying to pass off fake diamonds as real diamonds. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you can yeah, yeah. get nailed. The cash is the same thing. It's a physical good. And if it can be copied, they may try to make it difficult, but it is doable. Then you can't fake yeah. Bitcoin. You can't With fake the public Bitcoin. ledger, you know, there is the 51% attack. The cryptocurrencies that don't have a lot of support. So if I, you know, say I come up with a cryptocurrency called Roundtable Coin or something. <laughs> and, uh, oh, let's do that. You know, maybe. Uh, Libby says no. You know, maybe Elizabeth in Brazil and, um, you know, Bart in or Slovakia. You know, okay, we'll run your, we'll run a couple servers, right? We'll we'll run a node. 
so they have their computer running and it, basically that's the online storage system that entails the transaction decentralized blockchain right if you don't have too many of these people running nodes i could start up maybe 10 computers and i would have more nodes than the rest of the nodes combined more than 51 percent and it's a 51% attack. Mm. And because it's all consensus-driven, meaning if there's contradicting information showing up in the a cryptocurrencies nodes, right? Like say, you know, this server is saying this, this is correct, but this other server is saying, well, no, that's this is the correct ledger, right? And they don't match, right? What they do is they take the consensus. So... 51% of the nodes say it's this. They, yeah, and right? That's what the consensus so is. The highest number of nodes that have the same information is the information that is considered correct. Right. So, what so, happens with the smaller cryptocurrencies, if they're small enough, right? Some guy will run a bot farm that controls a whole bunch of computers and stuff like that, and maybe try to fire up some nodes. He winds up getting past half of the nodes if he owns more than half the nodes he could put out false information saying that well and he's the consensus he actually owns all the coins and then all the nodes would say oh well all these nodes say that he owns all the coins so it must be right mm. and that's consensus uh, consensus so the more diverse and the, and the greater the number of people you have in it the stronger it actually is the larger the decentralized the more witnesses you have is. to every block right alright and miners are part of the network right so with Bitcoin, you have, I don't even know the number of nodes that Bitcoin is running. It's just a massive amount. Mm-hmm. In the mind of pretty much anybody, it's it's nearly an impossible feat to actually Correct. try to run a 51% attack against Bitcoin because the cost of actually trying to obtain run that it. number of nodes is astronomical and not, not doable. So, so you want to have as many people watching the currency as possible who are also owning the currency. On Reddit, on the Bitcoin subreddit, there's they're always encouraging people to run their own nodes, right? For many reasons, but... Security being a tough one? Yeah, you know, make the network more stable, you know, process your own transactions, kind of fun, right? Has there ever been an instance where people have gotten caught trying to change nodes or change uh, block? There is specific cryptocurrencies, and I don't know which ones they are, but they're, they're the more obscure ones. I think maybe Bitcoin Dart, when they have a fork, and if it's obvious to everyone that it's a, basically a shitcoin... Right. <laughs> they're trying to branch off it's not going to get yeah you know it's it's a piece of crap coin and then well why am I going to run this node when I can run another node that's more profitable right or as actually used mm-hmm. um, so the obscure cryptocurrency coins are most vulnerable to the 51% attack and some of them have been successfully attacked oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in which case it's your you know your cryptocurrency is worth nothing. Hmm. Here's something I came across. And I'm reading this, by the way, people, just so you all know. <laughs> Ohio, first U.S. state to allow tax payments to be paid in Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's nice to see that the government's kind of... Uh, it helps with adoption, right? It could for be sure. a foot in the door for them, because if it takes it on one level, then it gets somewhere. It's, it's a stepping stone to build yeah, on. Yeah, it's right? perfect. Yeah. It's just adoption, right? The more people allow you to do it, the 
Yeah. It was all over Twitter. There are many smaller governments that are very formidable to Bitcoin. Um, you know, state governments and municipalities, certain ones, right? You know, maybe there's a couple firecracker politicians in Ohio, young, you know, and they want to get on the train. And maybe there's a quite a young population that, you know, would pay their taxes in Bitcoin more easily. It's yeah. nice to see. And it further signifies the fact that Bitcoin's here to stay. Yeah. You know, if I'm in charge of a state taxes, right? If I say I'm accepting Bitcoin, I better know what I'm doing because the state depends on those taxes to pay for road salt and schools. But and so you have you got people paying with Bitcoin, you got governments buying it with Bitcoin. They have to take in the losses that come with the sure. fluctuation of that yeah. Bitcoin to their like the U.S. dollar. Yeah. So in the near future, I know it's going to get stronger and more valuable in comparison to the currencies. But it's still a risk for them to accept that. It right? is. Yes. But it could also be a huge bonus for the government in time when it goes up. Yeah. Those small tax dollars that they got from some small business could be equivalent to some huge corporation with the sure. increase in value. Yeah. You know, what it signifies is, you know, somebody knows something because if an institution is accepting Bitcoin, that means that they have enough faith in it. Confidence, it's, yeah. it's a viable currency that they could, you could pay debts with. I'd like to see like how Bitcoin, because it seems like such a threat to the government, such a threat to the banks, how it can be reassuring for people who get gouged by the government and gouged by banks, and how long it would take them to overturn that trust from the bank to the Bitcoin. Well, that just really depends what country you live in. <laughs> if you lived yeah. in Venezuela, you're already there, right? You're done. <laughs> and now, there's been talk of China and Russia trying to format a new currency that's gold-based for for exchange and purchase of oil, right? Mm. As opposed to the USD, really? US dollar. Yeah. I'm wondering how Bitcoin, if it could and how it could, influence that purchasing power for oil on a worldwide stage with such ease of use, such low transfer rates, and such transparency. Because I think if it got into there at that level with that that volume of transactions and that volume of money, then for other people to say, well, oh, yeah, for my $200,000, $100,000 a year that I make or buy or trans use, and oh, if they're doing it with trillions of dollars of oil a day, you know, it's got to be that secure where my household could use it for its everyday purchases. Yes. The, the strength of Bitcoin and the stability of it, you know, it's one thing for people to be using it to send to each other and buy their... Good. Consumer stuff, yeah. But if it becomes the basis for the, the biggest transactions in the world, if it yeah. becomes the major trading currency for world markets, then certainly. Like for Venezuela, yeah. I'm thinking because they're a huge oil producing poor country. So if they have to start from scratch and rebuild everything financially, if they start using Bitcoin to do those transactions with their oil, how that they could be like the flagship for other countries who want to diversify or transfer into a more secure economic base. Well, I'm sure they're probably already looking at how to apply blockchain to that, right? Yeah. That's what they're doing with all these different industries. And an interesting analogy maybe off the top of my head is uh, assembly language for computers. You know, there's various types of computer chips, but the most um, common ones for personal use is, is uh, you know, it has, I think it initially had a couple of different registers, you know, 16 bits, 32 bit registers, ones and zeros, yeah. right? 
and a limited set of instructions you could use to manipulate those registers. It's basically assembly language. Two times a number in a binary number, you basically just add a zero on the end and push it forward, right? Like, like division, multiplication, Processing all that type value. of stuff. But and there's and it's assembly language and it's a very low level language, which means, you know, you're basically manipulating Open information in these registers directly on the chip, right? But then, you know, because it's kind of so such a pain to program for it. They made another programming language on top of it, and it's easier to code, right? And it, it can do a lot more things in a couple lines of code. And then it all sends that and converts it into hex language for the chip. But it's almost like a second layer of programming language hmm. that makes life easier for everybody rather than trying to work at a much more mathematical, um, tedious language you know as the first layer so so you know almost be like when you're playing playstation and you're using your controller <laughs> <laughs> you're using your controller right you don't think activate uh, a dr magnus two percent you push up and, it, and it's a sub language that you never really speak but it's right. processed underneath that's right yeah yeah so lightning networks like that it's another layer on top of the blockchain okay because the blockchain is very expensive and there's only a limited amount of storage per tens minutes uh, you know every time a block is written if you use the lightning network it can handle a lot more transactions a lot more quickly and then it basically takes that code and then puts that on the blockchain it just makes things easier and faster and cheaper for processing and information and data on the on the network itself on the computers themselves yeah because you know instead of like directly accessing the bitcoin blockchain to send money you know, they go, well, there's only a limited amount of space on the blockchain, so it's going to cost you. Yeah. Right? You go, well, I'll just use Lightning Network, and it's a lot cheaper, and then it all gets encoded in the blockchain. kind of. In the end, it's all the same information on that block. It's just how you're processing it more efficiently. You know, they're trying to get it ready for mass usage. And you saw that, you know, that blip in January or, you know, when it really started to peak, right? And all of a sudden, it was 40 bucks if you wanted to send Bitcoin. <laughs> and That was before the Lightning Network. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, you know, and that's because a lot of people were using it. They're buying it, right? And then they're sending it to different addresses, and the price went up astronomically because the number of people that were using it, and there's only so much space on the block. So right? that that extra cost might have even been a bit of a break on the popularity of it because some people are like, "Well, if I got to pay this much money to make transactions, oh uh, yeah." And then as soon as that problem's resolved, then all of a sudden, you know, it's like driving with your foot on the gas and the brake pedal. You just Instant reactive, like, oh, it costs too much money, I'm not going to use it. Oh, wait, now they got a new lightning thing, I'm going to use it yeah. even more. And, yeah. Well, put yourself in the place of being, you hate Bitcoin. Just just think about it. Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I want to hate Bitcoin so bad. And you have a lot of money, and all of a sudden, the cost of sending a Bitcoin went up from a 30 cents to 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, I'm going to write some press releases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Bitcoin's great. It only costs you $40 <laughs> to send it. You know, and you, you, it's repeated a worldwide across the media right like every chance and you know little crevice they can hang on to get their fingernails in to beat down that bitcoin exuberance yeah. right they'll use it they want and to they will spend good inertia. money yeah yeah so you know and it's just they skip from one to the other and then the next thing is oh it's so volatile if you're anti-bitcoin 
Well, it's easy. You to can be a you can come up with lots of sure. reasons, but when you really start to understand what's behind it and underneath it, like it's not gonna go away. To me, it's just kind of delaying. Oh, and it could be like a lifetime long delay of the inevitable. There's no rule saying oh, Bitcoin has to have worldwide adoption in ten or twenty years. Maybe not. Maybe maybe they'll push hard enough to keep it back fifty years. I don't know. Look at Bitcoin like cell phones. It's still at the the brick Nokia phone that was indestructible, yeah. but wasn't that well or easy to use, right? Yeah. So we got this thing that we know it's rock solid. You know it's not going to break if you drop it out of a second story window. Yeah. But it's not the easiest thing to use yet. And eh, we don't have a touch screen yet. Eh, it's not in color yet. But yeah. once those upgrades happen and everyone's like, oh, yeah. I could do my banking on this. I could right. do my shopping on this. I could do everything yeah. on this. That's like their phone. That's when that leap's going to happen. I think it's going to for cheap shoot up really quick that's a far-reaching statement because it reaches into so many areas right like usability you know even like if you go on the app store on your cell phone and download a wallet and trying to get the lightning network going you know there's very few wallets that actually allow you to access the lightning network yet because it's so new right and even then the the ones that are they're always trying to make it more common sense like it's intuitive. not it, it's not intuitive when you're using it right you have to you know learn about what the heck you're doing to mm. us to us how to take control degree. of your finances okay. yeah it's yeah, yeah. daunting to some people and you know even me like well, okay well you know it's email of, was too in the beginning it just doesn't it's, <laughs> well, not, it's not straightforward yeah right it's getting there it's getting a lot more straightforward yeah but and i think i think it's going to be years before it sure. really gets there you know and the other thing you know which the lightning network is solving is the the fees right I mean, you know, $40 to send a Bitcoin, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, that's significant. Five all seven. of a sudden now, all the nodes are installing Lightning Network and SegWit 2X, right? The $40 transaction fee was the impetus for people to go, oh yeah, okay, well, I, I, better, I better install this upgrade, right? Yeah, yeah. But until that happened, nobody was really motivated oh, yeah. to do it, you know, and because it's a decentralized network. It's up to the node runners to choose whether to, you know, enable various improvements to the code. Sometimes there's no option, like the, the Bitcoin Core code, you know, from the Bitcoin devs. To my knowledge, I believe, you know, certain things, if you don't upgrade your node to this because it's a security issue or something you like have that, to have it, then yeah. your node will not be recognized recognized on the network right things like that you know i should know more about segwit i believe it was it's great for exchanges and exchanges didn't implement it and like people were screaming at them because exchanges were taking up 40 percent sometimes more of all the bitcoin transactions and with segwit one of the things with segwit there's more to it but it allows one person to send X amounts of Bitcoin to any number of addresses in one transaction. So you could send Bitcoin to 500 different Bitcoin addresses. And, so you, and only pay the same transaction fee. Yeah, it would only go through as one transaction. So if you wanted that, right? a staff like at a business and you got like 300 employees, yeah. oh, I could spend you know 5% of my payouts on the logistics of paying it out and checks and yeah. processes, it, or I could do it all for 5 cents. Yeah, it's like a one-to-many... And it's and it's beautiful, right? 
you know, until there's a problem that arises or a, a stressor, what's the impetus to upgrade, right? It, it's almost like that. It's the same with the human body, right? You yeah. got to stress a muscle to make it stronger. It's got to adapt yeah. so that it's more efficient and functions properly. Huh. One of the guys who turned Bitcoin is anti-fragile, like the human body. The more stress stresses it encounters, it. the stronger yeah. it gets. I think in time, people are going to look at Bitcoin and the wallets and all that the same way they do at Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, where it's like, oh, man, okay, well, oh, this upgrade came. I don't like this upgrade. It's more of a hassle. And But then in time, they realize, oh, this was driven by the people who use it. And they the feedback they get, and it makes it more functional. It makes it more easy to use. It makes it more universal. Well, that's why we're still on the infancy stage, even of Bitcoin, right? It hasn't yeah. been around. We need years more. Like, yeah. What's the adoption rate of Bitcoin? At 2 to 4%, maybe. Imagine it gets to 20%. The amount of transactions on the network... You know, the unforeseen issues of volume. They're you know, preparing for it. For it to grow. I mean, it's it's going to grow in a massive way if it is ever going to become when the, you, when the you worldwide were, fiat. When you were explaining the internet uh, comparison, where it's like, oh, you know, only so many people around the world would use the internet because you had access to it and technology was really slow and dial-up modems and it was yeah. not functional. You know, it's that curve. It kind of builds slowly, and then you hit this point where that this much of the population is using the internet. So there's this huge confidence in it, and then yeah. it's more intuitive. And all of a sudden, boom, it shoots yeah. up, and you got like 80% of the world are, are yeah. all using the internet in some way, shape, and form. And yeah. that's just how I think it's going to be with the Bitcoin. You know, yeah. it's going to go, and then all of a sudden, that customer confidence is there. There'll be some kind of new wallet or new app, and all of a sudden, boom. The whole world's going to be using Bitcoin as its foundation for that. Yeah. Or they'll just have it on their cell phones, right? I think, you know, there's people that don't have running water, but they have cell phones in this world. In Africa, that's what they had to do, too, right? Because the banks aren't open, the ATMs don't work, and now they're using All of a sudden, if they can have Bitcoin on their phone when they're looking to buy their water or whatever yeah, it is yeah. they're buying, it's, yeah, it's adoption gonna, is going to really, really push it over the top. But you don't know what it's going to ultimately wind up as, right? Well, they say that now the cell phones are on their way out already, like smartphones. In the next five years, it's all going to be wearables. It's all going to be integrated stuff. That's bracelets and watches and earrings and these things that you wear. Maybe Bitcoin's going to become part of that where your identity is physically connected to your Bitcoin account. How many people by the year 2024 will have a Bitcoin receiving address barcode tattooed on their skin somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be like a safety issue if you had that though? When somebody yeah, like, well, no, no, sure. and then... We have t-shirts coming out. So if you want to send me Bitcoin, send money, they could do it right off your shirt. Yeah. Mm, now, if you want to take my Bitcoin, that address will not help you whatsoever. Oh. That's what I was fearing. Like That's yeah. the address. That's, that's like your email address but for Bitcoin. Okay. That's the one-way Dropbox for you. Okay. We have one on yeah. our website. Didn't so, you guys say last time that there was like a stripper in Vegas who had her Bitcoin tattooed on her so guys could send her Bitcoin at work or something? If I was a stripper in Vegas, why wouldn't I? <laughs> right? That's, uh, that's interesting. The only thing they can do is send money to it. It's mm-hmm. not like it's... You can't steal from it. Interesting. It's a one-way transaction and it always benefits you. I've seen pictures of graffiti work in cities where they'll actually have their Bitcoin address painted on. Oh, they appreciate the graffiti. And you can look it up the address, right? And, you know, and the guy got, got like six or ten grand out of it. Oh, and you guys, you see their transactions because it's all on the block. Yeah, yeah, ah, you can check it out. 
Better. So you can actually go, okay, I see this homeless guy over here, and you check it. Oh, wait, he made 20 grand in the last well, month? The problem with that is they don't, it doesn't say busker, he's yeah. It just says right? the address. But so you can tell that that address what his transactions have been in the last whatever, forever, actually, I guess you could say. And you can always track it. Yeah, but then yeah. you can change it tomorrow, right? Put up a different address. You could change your account number. You can make up 800 addresses if you want. Oh, okay. There's so there is anonymity even though you're showing your identity. You could take your identity and you could put it under 500 addresses so people wouldn't know it's you and your yeah. different accounts. That's so right. there is an anonymity, but there's also... You could download a wallet, a Bitcoin wallet, and just keep hitting create address and it'll keep creating mm. addresses. Yeah. You, know, you can create 10, 20, whatever, right? Until your thumb gets tired. Okay, so you're out busking and you have a little sign and you put that sign out for an hour. So it's just like clearing the cup. <laughs> 20, maybe you got 20 signs, right? Yeah, and yeah. Go, oh, I'm going to put sign number three out this hour yeah. and sign number four, right? The cup gets full, you know, change in some bills, then you take the bills yeah. out, you just leave a couple quarters, so people are like, oh, he's only got a couple quarters. So in someone cup. looks at your Bitcoin and they go, oh, the poor guy. Yeah, yeah. He didn't yeah. make any money yet. Oh, <laughs> not like, oh, he made $20,000 in 17 days. <laughs> So Interesting. When you bought yours, Dave, uh, eight hundred bucks, right? Did Six hundred total. Yeah. Did you talk about it? Did, uh, did you just do it and just? You know, it's funny. I myself, I uh, I purchased a couple properties and I use them as rentals, and that's kind of my my retirement investments. Is that? And whenever my friends talk about, it, like, oh yeah, did you hear about this stock? I hear about that. I was like, I just got my Bitcoin, like, because that's really the only one that I've really funneled money into directly and purchased myself as an investment. Yeah. I've never bought any other stock ever yeah. Yeah. with any other mediums. That's the confidence I have with this because, and my mom's a banker and I've heard of all, and I got friends who do the stocks and all that, but I, this was the one I felt comfortable with where I was like, you know what? This money isn't going to make or break me, but the potential for it to make it far outweighs my fear of the unknown for hmm. what, at that time what I did yeah. about the bank. You said your mom's a banker. Yeah. Did you tell her you bought it? Yeah. What was her reaction? Uh, she asked how. Yeah, how, how did you buy it? But that was pretty much it. It wasn't. It, yeah. She's a retired banker now, yeah, so okay. it's not like yeah. she's on the pulse of investments right. banking right now. But yeah, and a lot. Of, a lot of folks they don't know what to think of it. They're like, oh, what do you think's gonna happen? There's not a lot of confidence in it yet. But I think once people see the potential and the functionality of it and the security, then it'll be like one of those things where I go. Oh, you know, like purchasing a car. It's like, oh yeah, man, I got the Ford F one fifty in this truck. I really love it because it's got this. this. And, oh no, I got the Dodge. Here. It's almost like that conversation with currencies. Like, oh well, you know, do I take my Canadian and put it into American, see how the, the exchange rates go, or do I put it into this bank, or or do I put it into this this? Well, it's kind of unknown, but I've heard nothing but like secure great things about it, and it seems to be building on a steady pace. It's, you need it's a, to know about Bitcoin. Yeah, that's the the and it's just like the more people who use it, who know about it, the stronger it becomes because it's it's that uh, community mentality where everyone keeps track of everyone else, not like other currencies that you don't have any control over. You don't you're not a part of it. You're just using it. Right. You know what I mean? You know, look at the Fed. Look at Ugh. look at the EU. They're oh. printing billions. The states were printing trillions of dollars putting them on forklifts sending them to other countries and then just spreading their currency forcibly in most situations yeah. while this is more it's universal it's worldwide and it's secure. meanwhile yeah <laughs> perpetuating this myth that your dollar is just as valuable as it always has been and sure you know, meanwhile in the back corner they're shooting off bills as fast <laughs> as they can you know yeah. like it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's all they've known. Like the dollars have changed, the pictures have changed, 
the thing with the picture of that queen that I don't know anything about or that family that I have no idea how they got into power or why they're still in power, yeah. I trust that yeah. because my parents trusted that and my grandparents trusted that. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm going to trust that because that's what we do. But and they don't know one, why. No one knows anything about it. that's one reason why everyone gravitated towards gold, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's only so much gold out there. And you can't make it. You, know, you only harvest it. But all of a sudden, Wall Street, they bring in the idea of paper gold. Yeah. Right? 1933? So you buy gold on the market, and it's redeemable by gold, right? Yeah, right. You know, and then there's this huge uproar saying, well... The amount of paper they had in the market that represented gold was like more than the gold. Ten that times there. the amount of actual gold that was in the world. <laughs> well, wasn't it? Right? Wasn't it Paris that called them on their bluff like yeah, that? Yeah, right. huge. In the in the nineteen thirties, they were like, "Oh yeah, this just happened like 10, oh. 15 years ago." But there's no like gold in sacks, and like when you have the most secure buildings in the world, they could be full of gold. Or maybe full of nothing. Oh, and you'll empty. never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you'll I know. Fort yeah, Knox? Yeah, yeah. How do you yeah. know it has any money in it? Oh. movies. <laughs> we can't. We can't do that. It's a. It's a security alert. Oh, there's well, been all kinds of stuff going on about like countries going to get their gold and all. There's not there. Nothing there. It's the same as like the old yeah. west. It's the same as pirates. It's the same crap. Yeah. Unless you physically have that gold. Yeah. That's no. how they ruin the gold market, though, right? You have right. all this paper gold, and and all of a sudden they're shortening, right? They, they're going short on gold with more gold than actually exists on the planet to counteract your, your buying the gold. Printing, yeah. like it gets to a level of complexity and insanity. Well, it's criminal. That, that combined, if you ever really tried to figure it out, you would never believe it. And you know, <laughs> How they get away it, with it. But it's so complex and weird that it's almost like they get away with it because because of that very fact ignorance yeah and it's well, ridiculous most people right? don't understand it so. drives people up the wall yeah. like, the people that know but and you know. china and russia the last 5 years have increased their their hoarding or their savings of gold like five or tenfold. Like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, every country buys gold every year and they have their reserves. Yeah. But gold in russia over the last 5 years it increased that a lot. So it yeah. makes you wonder what are they preparing for? What do, what do other countries know about world currency? Well, I heard Russia's going after Ukraine, but I'm not, like, you know, I'm not... Yeah, Russia goes after a lot of stuff. Hmm. Well, they're places. gearing up on for something, but I don't know. But, you know, the thing about gold, if you're a real metals guy, right, or a gold bug, sure, there's a level of security there in having gold, but someone can swipe it pretty easily from you if they know you got it. Mm -hmm. You can't walk down to the general store and buy a Coca-Cola with... Mm. file off a gold sheet yeah. for somebody, right? It's too much. Um, yeah. You know, and that's what Bitcoin's for. Yeah. But, but the only other thing is, apparently, and I might be wrong, and I'm sure if there's some materials guy that'll email me up and say, <laughs> you're totally wrong in this, but I think gold comes from asteroids. I, and I think it's all from space. When you have gold, it's made out of elements that we have already, but it's under such conditions that can only be made on an asteroid impact. Oh no! Well, maybe an asteroid impact, but on such great levels of energy, it's more than we could ever produce. Right. So, like a like a star dwarfing or asteroids colliding, it takes a, a specific huge amount of energy, focused in a certain way with certain elements, to make gold that we can't do on a 
on any scale. But you know how to ruin the gold market? Make a way to make gold. Find the right asteroid that's full of gold. But gold. Isn't, isn't Earth the fragment of an asteroid anyway? Isn't everything a fragment like, of an asteroid? Oh, listen to you. Yeah. Hey, you brought up the asteroid, dude. Did gold. you Google it? Where's Wait, gold from? Where is gold <laughs> from? Did it just sprout out of the ground? Uh, uh, let's look at diamonds. Diamonds is a sucker's bet on anything. If you think diamonds are worth big money because they're rare, I think you're very ignorant. They can make diamonds. They make uh, commercial-grade diamonds every day for mining, for drill bits, and there's a law where you cannot make them to be sold for... Uh, Well, the the biggest problem, I I think I heard it two days ago in the news, was um, China's now making synthetic diamonds. That are completely indistinguishable. Yeah, they're from clear. real diamonds. They're crystal clear. Nobody can nobody can figure out a way. And the quality the, the quality is easier to maintain the artificial. Yeah. So why are diamonds worth everything? If you got some some carbon and a massive press and the right humidity, you can make your own diamonds at home in time. I'm sure you could. Why isn't someone figured out how to make gold? That's what I mean. It's it's one of those things that in time. Maybe, you know, well, if we can create the void of space and the temperature of space to be used in a hydrogen collider and then use these magnets to make simulate outer space, I'm sure it's a matter of time before they're going to be able to make it on some level, right? Gold, maybe microscopic or what have you. But I, I, I think that we're not there yet. But in the, at the same time, value is only as it's a scarcity. It's supply and demand. When you have diamonds that were mined out of the earth and then you have an identical diamond that was made synthetically, and there's no difference whatsoever in the two. How do you really value a diamond that came out of the earth? A real diamond takes millions of years, tons of pressure, geometric forming, all this stuff to make. Mm-hmm. And sure. the pressure makes this diamond from the carbon. Sure. Man-made diamonds are carbon taken into a casing, that casing's put into a machine, yeah. that machine applies that pressure for a duration of time, and it makes diamonds. So the only difference between your quote real diamonds and quote fake diamonds is time. If something is naturally formed, yeah, and then you turn around and make it, yeah. yours is not as the, valuable as mine is. Carbon. There's, well, there's a mathematical. Truth. I don't make up the market. You're looking at finances. We're looking at physics. That's the biggest difference here. The physics of each diamond is exactly the same. The carbons are crushed together so the carbon atoms are in line. That's why crystals are clear and carbon is black. Okay, I'll it's the arrangement of the atoms. I've already so agreed I, to that. So if I took a diamond in my hand here, and I had another one that looked exactly the same, same size, same cut, same everything, there's no way to distinguish which one took thousands of years and which one took a month. I highly recommend you go on Kijiji and start looking for some diamond rings, because you'll have people who show you papers who that say... Who buys diamond rings on Kijiji? Estates, consignment, oh, yeah. And they'll can... give you a form that says, this is appraised at $7,000, but we'll sell it to you for 2500 Because we're not in a really fancy store. We don't have oh, you yeah, in that yeah. shopper's ether where you think that it's worth that much or she's going to love you. It's all subjective. So the whole thing stemmed from gold. Yeah. Okay, oh, okay. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Okay. You can't make gold in a press. They're saying they're making synthetic diamonds in China yep. so well at the point now that they're indistinguishable from a diamond you pull out of the ground in every way and they they cannot find a way to tell the difference and what what i'm saying is over time if that continues and they will not be able to find a way the price of those two diamonds are going to come together a fake diamond if you can't tell it apart from a real diamond it's a real diamond what's going to happen is if there is a price difference what you think is going to be your real diamond 
is going to become a fake diamond. Yeah. It'll get switched out until the whole thing is muddied and the price of diamonds plummets. So Google says, although grown by scientists, not created in the Earth's crust, lab diamonds are absolutely real diamonds. And that's in bold. They display the same chemical and optical properties as natural diamonds. That's a good term. Natural diamonds. You can't tell. Even expert yeah, geologists can't tell the difference. But just for fun, we're offering you the chance to guess. And it's just this thing where you can guess if it's a real or fake diamond. Like you were saying with laser etch and stuff, like, you know, you have to trust the system in place for you to actually believe you're going to get a natural diamond or a polar diamond. What I'm saying is based on my almost 50 years of living on this planet, I don't trust a fucking thing <laughs> when it comes to money. Because you know the first, the first thing that goes out the window is ethics when it comes to money. Yep. And diamonds are money. Yep. And in my personal belief, if somebody's going to say, well, I know you really want to buy a diamond, you need to pay an extra Whatever 50% percent. because it's a natural diamond. It's an ethical diamond. And I'm going to I'm gonna look in their face and I'm going to you're full of shit. Mm -hmm. You're you're selling you're selling me a synthetic diamond and you're calling it natural. You're selling me a story is what you're selling because it's going to line your pockets. Yeah. They will tell you whatever they can to get you to pay more and you will get hosed. And diamonds are like one of the strongest materials on earth. Hardest stone to break, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'd be pretty hard to damage a diamond, right? So yeah. why is it that when you buy a diamond from a jewelry store and if you go back the next day cuz your fiance said no, they won't give you your money back. They'll give you a percentage back. And it's not a restock fee. It's because they know yeah. what the value really is on that diamond. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't give you a refund? I think it's a percent. Oh, no, that's never happened to me. I've never proposed anything. Well, you probably before. get a refund over within a certain time period. Yeah. All right, here we go. Extremely limited availability puts the cost of these pink diamonds between 56000 to 150000 per carat. Treated pink lab created diamonds cost between 5000 and 10000 per carat. It could take 50 years of obfuscation and targeted media ads before the population actually wises up to the diamond scam. But propaganda is very powerful and effective. And you know, you, you don't have to look much further than the diamond industry for me to really reiterate that point. Mm -hmm. The diamond scam. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're gonna have to Google that. Well, yeah. I'll tell you about when I felt scammed. LCBO said they were going to do a Black Friday sale, so oh. I, went, I went there and there were no sales. LCBO is the worst of them all. Really? No sales, Dave. Nothing. Well, a sale on LCBO, which is our provincial government, I've run alcohol institution. I think a sale at the LCBO means a bottle of wine is dollar, five cents less. Yeah, dollar cheaper <laughs> max. You know, interest rates are starting to climb. Will they climb next year? Consensus, nobody really knows. Oh, the Bank of Canada was saying they're going to raise four times in 2019. My feeling is the economy is so soft and the price of gas has come down, so the inflation rate, the CPI, is going to drop. So you're not going to see the impetus for the Bank of Canada to raise rates, but they'll probably raise it two points. And, uh, you know, now they brought in the mortgage stress test, so it's an extra 2%. And it's interesting because... Uh, 23, 24% of all mortgage holders in Canada are up for renewal in Ooh. 2019. Ooh. And if you need, if you want to switch your mortgage out to a different bank or go shopping around for mortgage rates, but to change 
banks for your mortgage when it's up to, for renewal, you will be forced to undergo the stress test. Hmm. And if you don't pass the stress test, you can't move your mortgage, you're stuck. Yeah. Which is why the banks are starting to raise their rates significantly because they know they've trapped a whole bunch of mortgage holders. You know, like some of these people that aren't making a lot of money and they wanted to play the housing game and they got in at the end, if house prices don't keep going up and it's looking soft and the interest rates are climbing, they can't get out. Yeah, like, that's what happened with the states. It looks scary. Like It's an interesting time, but, you know, fiscal policy is something to be heavily respected. Do I want to go back to the gold standard? I'm not sure. I'm not smart enough, man, to say yes or no. But I do know it's being abused because we're not in the gold standard. I guess from a utilitarian point of view, which option does the most people the most good? And I don't know the answer. I mean, I kind of like the gold standard because at least you know your your money's not going to inflate away. Yeah. Right? If you got 100 bucks under your mattress, you know, it might buy you a good pair of shoes. And even in 50 years, it'll still buy you a good pair of shoes because it's going to hold that value. But I don't know. I think at the same time, gold's more than just something pretty to wear. It has functional uses. Every cell phone, computer, electronic instrument, they all have some gold in them. It's a superconductor, has no resistance for power, has tons of usage. There's people who believe in monotonic gold. Drinking it helps with conductivity through their cells even. So there are... The ionization. Yeah, there are functional things to gold. But I think we just see it just as an investment. Well, you could argue that silver and palladium and... Oh, yeah. I mean, they're all very functional metals as well. I would argue that silver maybe has even more functional use than gold in a lot of the electronics, but silver tarnishes. But I think the big gold harvesters now is harvest from computer parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're trying to strip it out of the products that were thrown away. Yeah. And then reuse it. Interesting times, anyways. I don't know. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure being on Bitcoin Roundtable. Hope we spread the word, spread the truth, and spread the confidence in time. Oh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Always an interesting conversation. I will. Uh, maybe the next time I come on will be after I sell my Bitcoin. I just <laughs> hey, thanks for coming back, Dave. Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin.